The Scream Kings are in no way responsible for any encounters with the paranormal, extraterrestrial abductions, eldritch insanity, hauntings, curses, hexes, demonic possessions, cryptozoological sightings, or any loss of sleep that results from listening to this podcast. Scream Kings podcast. I'm Nathaniel Darkish. And this is Max George. Stay, stay calm. No wonder he was freaking out this morning. Hey, you want to know the podcast about how I found you, man? Ooh, that's a good intro, Nathaniel. Oh, thanks. Uh, welcome back, everybody. Long time we- no chat. <laughs> yeah, we're, uh, we, we're still alive, and the podcast is still alive, even though you haven't heard from us in honestly a a criminal amount of time yeah we we had that amazing interview a few weeks back and then you know when it rains it pours this summer has hit both of us pretty hard in terms of like life events and everything um nathaniel i know you've been dealing with like pneumonia on top of a house move (laughs) like tell us more yeah um so we moved into uh my mother-in-law's basement to save on rent because rent is a hellscape nightmare in utah right now and um that move was also gonna you know involve a lot of really intense uh renovation and stuff like that we weren't able to get all that done ahead of time so you know i was working on lots of drywall and all of that like leading up to the move and then had to continue to work on that after moving in so basically like most of the area that it's supposed to be my apartment is still basically just a giant construction zone and on top of all of that wonderfulness uh, i got pneumonia and so then you know i would be like i'm gonna go work on this stuff all day no i'm not i'm gonna work on it for five minutes and then feel absolutely destroyed for the rest of the day um you know it, it was great i i didn't get uh diagnosed with pneumonia until i don't know three weeks into having it uh you know finally what what tipped it over the edge for me was uh attending my sister's wedding again with pneumonia and realizing i just am not okay like i'm not just tired this is real real bad so uh you know finally got medicine for that and then as soon as all of that was done my wonderful summer vacation of being a teacher was over. And then the first week of uh, meetings leading up to the school year, my car basically exploded. It was, it was great. <laughs> I, I forgot about the wedding that you had to do as well. Like, <clears throat> I, I mean, weddings for the people planning them are huge events, of course, but also the family. Like, that takes a huge like energy out of you guys. So Yeah, well, you know, and, and we were setting up with the... Or helping out with the setup and the takedown and all of that stuff. And plus, you know, it's a whole day event. And so, yeah, basically by the end of that day, I'm like, well, I'm going to fall over now. So um, (laughs) please, someone spare me from the last couple of chairs that I should probably put away because I will probably fall over dead. Well, you're feeling better now, though, and everything, right? Things are Yeah, yeah. If I. I, I might cough a few times. That's just, you know, the mucus very slowly leaving my body, which apparently can take up to six months. So, you yeah. know. It's a bitch. FML. Um, my, all of the the females in my family get asthma pretty bad, and I get it a little bit nowadays, but pneumonia is actually kind of my coup de gras. Like, every year I'll either develop some sort of walking pneumonia or full-fledged pneumonia, I think people kind of underestimate how debilitating pneumonia can be and how long that recovery is because they're not joking. You're going to feel like just off for months until it can finally clear off. And it it's a beast. Yep. Um, but I, I understand my it wasn't just my summer that uh, sucked <laughs> the big one. Um, tell me about it. Oh, good Lord. So a few weeks ago, I started developing some kind of weird jaw pain. You know, that that kind of jaw 
joint by your ear where your the maxilla and mandible bones kind of meet uh, for my science nerds and i didn't think too much of it at the time it started to get me a little annoyed though you know jaw and tooth pain is just kind of that that type of pain you can never ignore and so i i did a teledoc appointment and i talked to a really cool doctor and they said that I was probably just experiencing some TMJ pain. Uh, I'm a very stressed person, you know, clenching my jaw probably at night, that kind of a thing. So they got me a really good prescription of uh, prescription NSAIDs, anti-inflammatories. Took those for two days and it was like everything was fine. So I figured, yeah, that that's totally what's going on. So then uh, I had that prescription for about two weeks and it ran out while me and my family were up camping, which is kind of our huge family vacation that we do year after year. And as soon as that prescription started to go out, that pain came back, but it felt more tooth related, uh, kind of that sensitive, aching tooth pain. So fortunately, my mother is works in a dental office with my uncle who happens to be the dentist. So I was able to get in real quick after coming home from camping and they did an x-ray and they were just bamboozled that I was not like writhing in pain. <laughs> Apparently somehow I had a root infection that was like so bad and swelling so much that it was like dislodging other teeth in my jaw and like altering how my bite was. And fortunately, it was on a tooth that I had had a root canal about eight years ago. So my nerves and everything in that tooth area were just dead, which is why I was just kind of feeling that dull pressure rather than screaming in pain. Uh, so the fun part is they, they couldn't operate right then and there. I had just come back from camping. It's not like I could take off a day for work right away. So I had to schedule my appointment like two weeks later which means I was on a hefty dose of different medications that sure made me feel all sorts of ways. <laughs> um, it wasn't just ibuprofen I was on, let's say that. Hmm. Uh, for two weeks, plus taking like 1,800 milligrams of amoxicillin every day for those two weeks. So my gut was wasted, my brain was dulled, I was trying to bone up on probiotics, so... I didn't develop any sort of like gut issues again. Sometimes if you take a ton of those antibiotics, it will strip you clean. And then I went in and they had to like drill into the tooth and then squeegee out all this infection that I could smell and taste. And then they put a temporary cap on and I have to go back at the end of September to get a whole new crown, which will cost me an arm and a leg. So... That's my adventure. So basically, you know, people came here expecting to hear us talk about the horrors of the black phone. And instead, they get to hear about the horrors of the medical system in America <laughs> and how uh, and, and plus, you know, just a, a light dose of the horrors of moving and house renovation and car BS and everything. Just, you know. Uh, basically, we have just... It, it's a miracle that we're both alive and functional <laughs> and able to even do a podcast now. So, um, we're back, everybody! <laughs> they say that real life is... It's like, what is it? Art imitates life or life imitates art. And that is very true for us <laughs> lately, I feel like. Yeah. What, uh, what demon did we piss art? off this time? Yeah, no kidding. Good lord, yeah. demons. Um, I've also had a few little moments of supernatural stuff happen at my place, which has been actually pretty fun. Go on. Um, well, so I have a cabinet that contains all of my spooky occult grimoires and my tarot card collection and my runes, and I'm working on a homemade Ouija board. And I woke up one day, and the glass doors that kind of keep it all enclosed were just open. And this isn't something that I just randomly leave open. So that was kind of spooky. Um, it's been known to, like, shake occasionally. That creeps visitors out. Uh, and then I was outside and just hanging out with my kid. And my front door just kind of creepily opens all by itself. That was pretty spooky. 
Um, I'm convinced it was the wind, because if it's something else, I'll get too scared. <laughs> and then I have a uh, one of those smart bulbs in my office, and this week it's been kind of flickering, but it's it's not like a it's running out of juice or the power's going out. It's like flickering, and then it will change a different color, where it's mm. a smart bulb, and then it will do it again, and it will change a different color. So all of these are very, like, explainable through science, but... I'm going to choose to believe that it's a ghost. <laughs> I'm going to choose to believe it's a demon because how many grimoires do you have now? That's fair. I've got I've got some mean ones, too. If you ever need someone hurt, come talk to me and we can summon a demon. I've got some intense grimoires. Scream Kings don't endorse hurting people with demons. Yes, agreed. Please don't do that. At least legally. Um, <laughs> we, we don't Let- endorse but let's pull out of the world of reality because it sucks and let's dive into some horror yes let's oh escapism mm. yeah really the best right the millennial coping mechanism indeed okay well today we are talking about the black bone uh you know that recent release uh film um starring ethan hawk and uh, Thames? Thames? It's spelled like the river Thames, so I don't know. I'm just gonna say Thames. There's a combination lock. What's the combination? Hang up the phone! You don't have much time. You're gonna use a weapon. You are special, Vinny. Please hurry! <laughs> creepiest damn thing. It's a fun movie, like, straight off the bat. Like, we're going to talk about lots of cool stuff uh, about it, but um, just some quick information. Uh, so the director is Scott Derrickson, uh, who also uh, co-wrote the screenplay with Robert Cargill, and it's based on a short story by Stephen King's son, Joe Hill, uh, which is part of his collection, 20th Century Ghosts, which I highly recommend. Just I'm going to come out of the gate with that. Yeah, we we both had the opportunity to kind of read this short story. We'll talk about that a little later, I think. Yes. Uh, however, like, let's just dive into this movie. Uh, this episode, I think, is going to be pretty straightforward for a Scream Kings episode. Uh, we, we actually, like, agree on most things. <laughs> yeah, it's it was probably my highest achievement this summer, hearing from you that you had no notes on my notes and no, like, counterpoints. It was like, wait, what? Yeah, it... It was honestly bizarre. I'm like, wait, did you wrote these notes? I felt like I wrote those notes. <laughs> wow! <laughs> uh, so the Black Phone. Uh, the premise is very simple in its approach. You have kind of the setting that is alluded to be in the 80s. I don't think they ever came out and said it. Uh, so you have kind of that magic 80s coolness going on. And the town is being attacked by kind of the serial child kidnapper and what we are assuming is a murderer uh, called the Grabber, played by Ethan Hawke. He leaves black balloons as kind of his signature calling card, which is very spooky in and of itself. Um, The movie, though, is really about the main character, Finney, who does get abducted by the Grabber, taken into the basement, and his ultimate experience with this kind of disconnected phone on the wall this rotary phone that seems to just be there out of happenstance from what this room used to be however it rings and when Finney answers he starts to kind of get clues and guidance from these ghosts of the grabber's victims Uh, and explaining that out loud it seems very supernatural and very kind of odd but I think probably the highlight of this film Nathaniel is that it it meshes that supernatural component of this like ghost whispering Finney's sister also is alluded to have supernatural powers she has these visions where she can see things Mm -hmm. and sure that's fun that's great but what the director and the plot really do well is allow that to exist but it's not the entire story everything outside of the supernatural is still going on and it just doesn't undermine anything when it comes to telling a story. I, I definitely agree. I feel like, you know, at, at its core, this is, you know, a child abduction story. 
and about the experience of, of being, you know, a child in that kind of situation and, and the terror that comes with it. And then, you know, on the outside, you know, the terror of having your brother missing, uh, you know, with his sister, since she is definitely one of the main characters as well. Um, and so it's really focused on that experience more than anything else. And, and you know, then we have the supernatural elements of the story almost as, like, seasoning on this already well-made dish. Um, that's that's kind of how I, I would think of this story, you know, with... With this story, you know, it, it, it would still be, I think, a, a strong piece, even if it didn't have the supernatural element. I mean, the the conceit really does kind of go around this, this titular black phone, but, you know, the characters themselves, the performances, all of that, you know, even when you're not looking at the supernatural elements, are just very, very strong, and it is very grounded in, like, the natural terror uh, of something that could and unfortunately does happen yeah i really like how you said that because oftentimes in horror movies supernatural occurrences it's like magic they seem to operate of course outside the bounds of physics which is fine i love a good you know supernatural horror is probably my favorite of all horror but when you are telling a true crime story you have to be careful with that because you have to stay focused and rooted in reality, right? Yeah. And I, I think the supernatural aspect of Black Phone, it doesn't defy the laws of physics. Of course it does. But for the sake of the movie, it doesn't. Sure, Finney is talking to these ghosts through this Black Phone, but that could be portrayed as kind of his psyche developing and trying to like process his state and develop plans. Like It, it doesn't have to be ghosts for the execution to be executed, for lack of a better word, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, well, it, well be, and, and I think that works because they give him helpful hints on, on how to proceed. Like, right. You know, oh, hey, you know, you can pull up a cord from that, you know, edge of the carpet um, and, and maybe use that. You know, kind of giving him hints about his surroundings. But ultimately, like, Finney has to do the stuff. He has to you know, dig the holes. He has to, you know, try to figure out how to get out. It's not just like, oh, a ghost magically hands him a solution. No, he still has to, like, do his best to survive this situation. And I I definitely could argue that these supernatural moments aren't supernatural. You could argue that Finney is just kind of coming to terms with his situation. He's a smart kid, and he's now processing through how to get out of this predicament. Mm. And same with his sister. These could be just those gut premonitions that we can all have of, you know, I it's here, it's there, it's wherever we need to go to save my brother. It's really, it's really well done. You don't see horror that can do this this well. I, I was very impressed. When the Black Phone trailer first came out, uh, it was very focused on kind of the child abduction aspect of the film and i was very spooked by it it looked very terrifying child abduction child torture child murdering whatever is pretty tough to watch and this looks like a real gritty film and then the the second trailer came out and that's where they kind of showed the element of the ghost and i just deflated in my excitement and i'm happy to say that that expectation was met i was really impressed yeah i i really enjoyed this film um one thing that I definitely want to highlight in this is Ethan Hawke. Um, mm-hmm. I've, <clears throat> you know, I a lot of films that he's in, um, you know, he, he's in especially you know, quite a few horror films in the last uh, I don't know five ten years, and I, I always feel like he does a passable job, but like it hasn't really wowed me very many times. Um, but with this film in particular, you know, I, I feel like this performance was was above, you know, even what we saw of him, you know, recently, and you know what we talked about with um, Moon Knight or things like that. Like his performance was terrifying. Like this was a very scary, very mean, nasty person, and the ways that he, you know, like the the creepy masks and and like especially you know how they were segmented and stuff like that certainly made him scarier visually but his performance is what really sold it you know that he would 
You know, just the, the subtlety of him going, I want to be your friend, and it's okay. And, and then, you know, like, leaving the door open a crack and waiting and, and hoping to beat him at the top of the stairs and stuff like that. Like, oh, the way that he played those scenes really showed, I think, how dark and um, disturbed a person often has to be in order to do these kinds of things and take pleasure in. Yeah, I, I'm a bit conflicted because I, I do feel like his performance as an actor was incredible. Yes. Um, and he was very haunting. He was very scary. But there kind of comes a moment where, and we'll talk about this when we kind of go into the cons of the film, but where the intensity kind of deflates all of a sudden. And I don't think it's because he's not scary. I think it's a little bit more about how the movie is set up. Because mm. uh, I think Ethan Hawke could have pushed even a little further and really have become kind of, you know, that Babadook, that Pennywise, that new Jason, that new Freddy Krueger. Uh, had that been pushed a little bit harder, I think he would have been an, a classic horror icon. And I, I don't quite think we made it there with Black Phone. I agree, but, but, you know, considering that this is just, you know, a, a short story, one shot, we're never going to see a sequel kind of thing. Yeah. It, it is a performance that definitely is going to stick with me. Oh, for sure. I agree. I, again, I think yeah. his execution of being the grabber was phenomenal. <laughs> um, I also really enjoyed the kid actors as well. Yes. Um, I, I think... We're in a golden age of kid actors. I don't know if I can say that, but uh, um, Mason Thames and Madeline McGraw playing Fanny and Gwen just knocked it out of the park. Um, Gwen is an icon. She's such a badass. Um, such a delight. Yeah, she's incredible. And Finney, I really loved this kind of smart, practical victim. He He was, of course, scared and terrified, it, his situation but then like we've kind of talked about he worked through it and he thought through it and he didn't become a victim to his situation he still survived which I thought was refreshing spoiler <laughs> <laughs> well no, we're yeah we're uh, yeah, oh, yeah no we, no we're well past that um, we believe in spoilers yes we do hard to talk about these movies otherwise um, yeah I, I definitely agree like, I feel like those three Hawk, Hems, and McGraw. Oh, powerhouses. Powerhouses. Yeah, um, everybody, very well cast. Whoever the casting director was for this, A+. Plus. And, um, another thing that uh, you know definitely comes up a lot in a lot of our discussion of horror movies is the pacing. And um, yeah, it's, it's very good in this film. Yeah, I didn't feel like I was bored or distracted at, at really any point. It did a good job of kind of establishing the premise, how it was affecting the kids. And then, you know, just as things were kind of, you know, slowing down a little bit, boom, then he gets grabbed. And then, you know, it keeps the tension up uh, well while having some moments of, of levity or, of uh, you know, interesting twists and turns uh, all throughout. And so, yeah, I don't feel like the pacing ever... You know, bored me or was even ever too fast I felt like it was really spot on in a way that few movies quite pull off yeah and to kind of go alongside that they really set up compassion and caring for the two main characters really early on in a very kind of natural way mm. uh, a lot of times when we watch horror movies we have these actors and we have no idea who they are and it's a challenging job for the directors and the artistic mind behind the movie to make us care, make us, you know, grieve with these characters when these supernatural horror elements happen to them. And if we don't, there's just no risk. We just don't care, right? Mm -hmm. We all we all have horror actors and actresses in our experience that we just don't care when they died. Um, and Finney and his sister alongside you the pacing but also the presentation of them as individuals the sibling relationship that they exhibit mm -hmm. it just it spoke to something that i think is very hard to capture in horror movies 
and it it did it so effortlessly like I, i'm trying to put into words what they did and i don't know if i can well uh, I, I mean like right off the bat like you you cheer for them because i think you know you get to see that they kind of have like a playful like teasing side um but they do like stand up for each other in different ways you know whether that's you know standing up to bullies at school for each other or um you know trying to protect each other from their abusive dad you know both both of those things you get to see them kind of as this team and so then when finney gets taken away you know one of the teammates is gone that i think you know instantly makes us you know really uh care about that separation we want to get them back together and we see why they go to such lengths to try to reunite because yeah they're, they're basically the only other person um, who who truly, I think, understands each other and understands their situation. You know, they're the person that the other one relies on. Yeah, and there's that scene very early on with uh, Gwen and her dad where he is clearly an abusive father. He is an alcoholic, and Gwen kind of calls him out on it. They get into this altercation. Finney is just kind of standing there in the background watching. He wants to, you know, intervene, but he can't. It's his dad. And Gwen is just yelling these, you know, spiteful retorts at her dad to get him to shut up. And it's it's very intense. It's very scary because it's that authentic horror that happens in real life. Uh, and then shortly after that scene, Finney is watching, you know, some cartoon on on TV. And Gwen comes in and is just crying. She's just been spanked. And she doesn't do anything. She doesn't say anything. She just kind of sits next to Finney and puts her head on his shoulder and it's this tender sibling moment that's just incredibly well done and powerful and it just speaks to a common thread for mm. siblings i think everywhere it, that that moment was beautiful it's kind of getting me a little emotional talking about it just because it was so serene and you know what was coming and so it, it, they just did it perfectly yeah yeah it definitely sold us on their relationship as as siblings as friends yeah, definitely just you know made me cheer all the more and care all the more about the uh, intensity of the situation. Because you know it's not just that this uh, you know boy is is in danger, but also you know by extension sisters that weren't perilled just in her everyday life. So well, and I I think it speaks to kind of that greater message of you know you might be going through something terrible and horrible and that is valid and real and that sucks but your loved ones are also experiencing something that is terrible and horrid and valid and real and just the power that exists when you know it's you don't care who had it worse you mm -hmm. both had it bad and coming together and speaking to that is i don't believe in a god but that's divine that that that's what matters yeah. Another thing that I found very refreshing about this film that you know I, I know that you've also mentioned in the notes was that this is you know kind of a true to life type crime story again except for the supernatural elements, but that focuses pretty much solely on the victim. You know, we don't get to see the our, our serial killer doing his evil serial killer plotting. He's not the main character. You know he. You know, with, with so many horror films with serial killers focusing on the serial killer, which, of course, like, there's plenty of room for that. You know, Silence of the Lambs, uh, you know, anything with Hannibal Lecter. You know, so so many of those films, you know, we get to see what's going on in the serial killer's head. We don't really get, like, an explanation of this person, right? In fact, we see that his brother is, you know, kind of an idiot, but he is you know, seems like a genuinely sweet person. And so, you know, we, we get to see, you know, little glimpses. We can try to piece a little bit together. But really, this isn't about him. This isn't about the grabber. This is about the victims. It's about their experience. And, yeah, we don't see that enough uh, in, in media. You know, we, it's always about, like, the cops or it's about the, the killer. We almost never get a, a story of someone through the eyes of the victim and um i feel like that that does a, a you know injustice like I, I know for example there are certain like true crime podcasts that will talk about 
serial killings and stuff like that, and they often will actually refer to the serial killer by name very little, and will instead repeat uh, like the name of the victim over and over and over again, and refer to this case by like the name of a victim or the you know list or you know names of, of a few victims or something like that, because it almost seems like they stop mattering in in these conversations. You know, when we're talking about these bad people who killed many people and I don't know so I, I found it refreshing kind of through that lens to see a story that was focused yeah pretty much almost solely on victims yeah at its heart I think this film is a true crime horror film yeah and the way that they approached it like you said where it's the victim first rather than the serial killer it's just something that is so I want to say unheard of, and I hate that I have to say it like that because it's so ubiquitous nowadays that, you know, the fascinating thing about true crime isn't the poor victims. It's these these terrible human beings, these serial killers. Uh, I recently found kind of the tongue-in-cheek true crime podcast show, Only Murders in This Building. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got Steve Martin in it, Martin Nash, Selena Gomez. It's phenomenal. I really enjoy it. But I like how they kind of play on this, that it's all about the murder. It's not about the victim, right? It's who killed X, who killed Y, why did they kill? Not who is X, who is Y, who are these people who have suffered? Yeah. And watching this show on Hulu has kind of gotten me addicted again to a lot of the true crime episodes uh, these, you know, mockumentaries, these documentaries that exist out there, like the Cecil Hotel and uh, Don't Fuck With Cats and and all these kind of crazy things. And again, the sensationalization of these terrible, terrible people when we hardly know anything about the victims to the point where Netflix has an amazing documentary, but it's all about the Night Stalker. You know, it's not about his victims. It's about him and why did he do what he did? And, 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 it, almost, I know, and it almost seems to be like glorifying in a yeah messed up way and i know we've talked about you know ted bundy and kind of how he has a cult following and we do not support any sort of like fanboy service to these serial killers it's degrading and disgusting if you are interested in the psychology or the reasons behind that sure uh, i'm not gonna tell you to not do that but remember the victims and to jump off the soapbox, I think what we're trying to say is Black Phone approaches this topic and tells a story how it should be told. Victims first. The victim story in the context of the serial killer. Yeah. There, come, there comes a point where you don't need to know why the serial killer did what he did. Um, because it, it's irrelevant. What he did hurt people. Let's focus on that. Yeah. Because... Frankly, there's never a good reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there, there isn't. There shouldn't be a good reason. Ah. Well, the soapbox is starting to crack, Nathaniel. <laughs> okay, do, do we want to move on to cons a little bit then? Yeah, uh, I don't think we have a ton to say um, necessarily, but there, this isn't a perfect movie by any means. We've given it a lot of praise. Yes. Um, it's one of those films that I think when I first saw it, I was really hyped, really jazzed. I loved it. I watched it again, and at the end of my second viewing, I was like, okay, I mean, this is good, but it's not like world hereditary. shattering. <laughs> I think we were just about to launch into our first con then. Yeah, I, I think for me, my biggest issue I had with the film um, is it's scary. It's not scary. <laughs> um, I wanted a lot more of that development between Ethan Hawke and Finney, uh, the grabber and Finney. Ethan Hawke did a, such a good job at portraying this villain, and it was very intense when the kidnapping first happens. Um, you're clutching your fists, you're on the edge of your seat, all of the cliches that you can think of, and... It, it just seems like something terrible is about to happen, and then it doesn't. And then it comes back, and you're, okay, here we go. Something's going to happen. There's, We're going to get some reasons why, those reasons that we just talked about. Or we're going to see what the grabber really is about. What is he doing with these kids? 
and it doesn't happen. And, and I, I don't necessarily need a reason here. Again, I think it's important that this is a victim-first film. However, yes. as a horror critic, once the kidnapping occurs and once that initial fear dissipates, we kind of realize that nothing is going to develop until Finney tries and escapes. And he does, and that part is pretty intense, it's pretty scary, but he gets thrown back into the basement. Uh, there's kind of this dissipation between captor and captee that just kind of left me wanting more. Uh, I was a little disappointed that they didn't take it that next step further and keep the intensity going. Yeah, I, I agree. It's it's almost like, you know when you're watching a, like a, a sitcom or some long-running show, and there's this like will-they-won't-they they relationship that they develop early on, but then they drag it out for like nine seasons? That's the kind of thing that, that we sort of have with this, where it's just like, okay, he keeps saying, I'm not going to kill you, I'm not going to hurt you, but... Well, are you? We know that that is eventually in the cards. Yeah. What what is he gonna do? Like, yeah. And so there's yeah, there's like no escalation until that point. And so, what? I don't know. Yeah. It just the the tension. Yeah, doesn't really build uh, that much right there because it's just uh okay. Well, eventually he's gonna try to kill him or something. I don't know. Just I I feel like especially with the communications from the other kids uh, through the phone and all of that kind of stuff it could have at least hinted at some other dark things that could happen I mean you know outside of just like oh well you know don't try to uh, don't try to escape when he's at the top or he's at the top of the stairs and he'll just beat you okay so then he doesn't do it yeah and I I don't necessarily even need to see the dark machinations that oh. might happen, right? Like, we just need to know what what is going on here. What is he doing with these kids? Is there, you know, for God's sake, is he sexually abusing them? Is there more physical violence? This game that is kept alluding to doesn't really ever get explained. There's a lot of just kind of confusion. And I was thinking about it earlier when I was writing up the show notes. And essentially, when the kidnapping happens, it's just two people having a conversation. Like, mm -hmm. there's no... The fear of it just wanes dreadfully, and it, it takes the breath out of the film. I think especially on a rewatch. Like, yeah. It's one of those, on, on the first time, you know, you're just like, well, well shoot, what's going to happen? And And so, like, the unlimited possibilities of it uh, keep the tension there, but yeah, on a rewatch, it it really dissipates because you're like, well, he, he's not gonna do anything until Finny tries something. Yeah, I just the grabber is such a charismatic character. I think that's probably what scares me the most about him is he has these different layers, these different <clears throat> levels, these different masks that really portray his emotional state at the time you know he starts out with a smiling mask and then he takes kind of the headpiece off so it's ethan hawks realized but he's still smiling and then the smile kind of becomes neutral and then it becomes this devil mask and then the upper portion of the devil mask comes off so it's just ethan hawk with this like demonic grimace and that is cool that is scary show us more <laughs> Uh, we needed more of that kind of psychological intensity to keep us scared, especially in a rewatch. And that yeah. that's ultimately why I think the grabber isn't going to kind of stand the tests of time as far as Pennywise or hell, even uh, Jason, Freddy, Michael Myers even. I hate Michael Myers, but it's just these other horror icons that keep the pressure on. Yeah. And and again, like, there's a lot of, you know, existing history that, that that you can pull from to up the intensity without having to show us a child getting beat. Yeah. Um it just it I, I feel like it ultimately underutilized that. Um And even another with the masks, uh, real quick, 
Uh, there's a scene at the end when Finney's finally like making his escape where he pulls the mask off of Ethan Hawke and he kind of goes catatonic and he's just devastated that this has come off and he kind of loses his balance and really that's the turning point for Finney to escape. Why? I, I, I don't know kind of what the purpose was of not really showing us where the psychology was behind that. I mean, I can guess, sure, but again, I think that just undermines a lot of the horror aspect of the film yeah it's it's one of those like it, it's not inherently a bad idea but if you are going to be playing that kind of card i think we as an audience want to understand it at least i don't know 10 percent more well and especially if it is like the the climax of the film which allows yes. finney to escape and it's this this moment where you know it's make it or break it uh I don't know. We we have to know something. It just doesn't really vibe well if all of the sudden when the mask comes off Ethan Hawke then he is incapacitated and we haven't seen that before. It just it's jarring in not a great way. Yeah. Um should we talk about some of the plot twists that just really didn't ever <laughs> gel? A plot twist for a plot twist. The best kind of plot twist. And there were two of those. Yeah, uh, um, and the first one was really good. Yeah. So, one of the ones that just never quite clicked was... So, why did we have to have the brother character? I mean, like, I, I thought it was an interesting kind of foil character for us to, to see, oh, hey, you know, it's not that, I don't know, the grabber was horribly scarred by his childhood or something weird like that. Because, you know, we have his brother who... You know, it does a, a bunch of drugs, but other than that, it just seems to be kind of, you know, a dude bro hanging out at his brother's house. Um, but yeah, like, just him and, and him discovering Finny and stuff like that never really went anywhere. Now, it is true to the original story, but it just never mattered that much. Um, other than, oh, hey, I guess grabber's going to even kill his brother to protect his secret yeah it, it felt superfluous in a way yeah um I, it would have worked better in my mind had he been like just a rando and he was getting really close to figuring out who the grabber was and maybe put the clues together and found the grabber's house even like that i feel like would have been more fun but the aspect of it's his brother and blah 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 and blah 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 and then he dies and it i get that it's part of the original source sure but i love the short story so much in the fact that they modified it and they extrapolated so much from it why couldn't they have changed this yeah. it's not that hard yeah well and and even just like it seemed like a kind of a missed opportunity because like we you know first see the brother character when the cops are, are kind of canvassing that area they knock on his door and he's like I have all these ideas, and they're like, uh, you're a druggy idiot, peace out. Um, I think it, even like that scene would have, have paid out better if we had then had some sort of clear indicator, no, that the cops were this close, and they ultimately were thrown off the scent, and maybe, you know, even if they had not trusted the little sister and her visions more, because they had you know, led them to him. That, I think, would have been more interesting than just, oh, yeah, they met him once, and then they left, and then later on in the film we find out, oh, no, that's his brother that's actually living in the house. I don't know. It just it felt like it was an interesting card that they did play the right way. Yeah, I, I don't know. It brings me to another complaint that I have, but let's talk about the other plot twist that was really good. Tell us a little bit about it. Well, so we I mean there's a, there's a couple twists here. So I mean the house he, twist is kind of what I'm alluding to, which I thought was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah, so we we have all of this kind of leading up to like the sisters having all of these visions and she, you know, ultimately is able to successfully lead the police to um, the grabber's house, but it turns out that it's his second house. That's where he's actually just dumping all the bodies, and so you know Nathan how that ends up. Like Nathaniel, when you say that out loud, I kind of was just like, 
Oh wait, this plot twist is also kind of silly. <laughs> yeah. Um. Also, I'll, I'll say that in terms of of tension in the scene, it actually kind of played out in an interesting way because how they framed it is basically they find this house, they find the bodies, and so it's cutting back and forth, and so they, they like open the door to the basement. And so we expect the police to be the ones that then find Finney. And then it cuts to the brother finding Finney at the same time. Basically, like, that, that we have that kind of discovery moment in two houses, but, you know, the police aren't there to help Finney. It's the brother, and then the brother gets an axe to the head. Um, which, like, in terms of, like, how that was presented, really did ratchet up the tension in a very effective way. But at the end of the day, it is kind of a silly thing. It's like, oh, it was a second house across the street. What a crazy happenstance. Yeah. I, like, it, it, it did feel kind of silly in the, terms of that revelation. Because then, like, Finny, like, emerges from the house after getting away and, and all of that. And and the ghosts all kind of taking on the grabber and everything that happened there after he, you know, bashed his head with the phone receiver. You name it. But then he just kind of, like, walks out and then the police are like... Oh, there he is! That just kind of felt silly. Um, but in terms of like how that was cut to build the tension of that scene, I liked it. It worked. So it was one of those things that it was both a good and bad twist. I don't know how they pulled that off, but... Eh. Well, I, I think it runs into this dilemma you mentioned earlier about how on the first watch, I think it, it hits a little bit different. You're in the intensity of the moment. You haven't seen this film before. Uh, it... It kind of vibes different the first time, but on a rewatch and even just like talking about that moment out loud, it changes, right? When you yeah. verbalize what happened, you start to think like, oh, wait, that that's kind of silly. <laughs> but yeah. uh, it was better than this weird brother thing that they tried to push on us. I agree. Uh, the other and complaint I had... It's just the cops were kind of morons. Um, I don't have a great opinion about cops at the moment. I don't think America has great opinions about cops at the moment. Uh, and I know this is kind of a, a period piece, so to speak, set in the 80s when cops were definitely not at their finest either. But they just seemed useless to me. Like, uh, Finney and Gwen did most of the work here. Yeah, like I, I like that the cops were willing to weird went out sure yeah, yeah like, that's a good point like you know there were times that i didn't think of them as useless but ultimately like a lot of what they did really didn't actually have that much weight on how things end out yeah it that's a good point i i do want to commend you know the the plot mechanic of of them working with Gwen. I think that was pretty cool. Uh, this, you know, punk little nine-year-old and her visions. But I just... I don't know. I want to believe that cops investigating a case like this would just be a little more competent. Like, like the guy, this brother character, who's clearly done a ton of research, why not utilize that in some regard? Sure, you get probably a billion tips and everything, but... The arrogance just kind of seems to motivate them, and I'm just getting tired of that. Yeah. So, if you want to feel better about cops' confidence, do not listen to the first season of the In the, uh, In the Dark podcast. <laughs> um. Yeah, it it's one of those things where I'm just slowly losing faith in our police officers sometimes, I feel like. So, maybe it's some bias bleeding into the podcast review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll say I, I definitely believe that there's very great cops out there. Sure, agreed. And if you're listening, hooray. I, I did the good work that, that you do, but a lot of people maybe are uh, promoted beyond their competence level. Or maybe uh, view law enforcement as a job that they can uh, exert power over others because they... Yeah, uh, stuck at life in other ways. Yeah, let's let's figure some stuff out, guys. So, uh, let's talk about the short story. I think we're kind of covered all of the other cons that we had and wanted to talk about, Nathaniel. Unless there's something else you want to dive into. No, nope. no, nope. I'm ready to move on to the short story. 
so you had me read the short story. You were able to send me a PDF. I was, I really enjoyed kind of reading the original source. I think that's pretty cool to do. Uh, I don't have the bandwidth to read like you. I don't know how you read like you do, Nathaniel. Uh, no one does. <laughs> but I was pretty proud of myself for, for reading this. Uh, I enjoyed it. It was a fun sit down, 20 minute, just read uh, for you. Mm-hmm. Probably like two minute, but it's good. I wasn't like blown away. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I enjoy reading the short story because I think it does uh, a couple of things. One, like it, it is a fun story. It's it's uh, well constructed. It's just a quick, fun read. It basically, you know, presents the, the major beats of this story. Um, you know, basically, Finny gets abducted by the grabber. Uh, you know, he gets the calls of the black phone that helps him out. But really, it mostly just boils down to, hey, you can fight back by you know packing it full of dirt, and then you can bludge him and escape. That happens. We do have a little bit about the brother finding him, which was kind of a fun, like, oh, hey! But it didn't really go anywhere that important. Um, it was just kind of a quick, fun, in-and-out short story. Yeah. And, you know, it, I, I would say it's far from Joe Hill's finest work, but I think it was a fun story. But what I like about this is that I think this is a very good example of why often shorter fiction, you know, short stories, novellas, things like that, tend to be better when they're being adapted into a feature-length film than a lot of other um, literature. You know, if we're dealing with a full-length novel, you're going to have to cut a lot of stuff to make the story work. With a short story, you can expand and really give it some, some room to breathe and give it a lot of life. You know, I feel like a lot of the best adaptations of things are, are pulling from novellas for stories. Uh, you know, one of the, you know, what, what is considered, I think, on IMDb, the number one film of all time, The Shawshank Redemption, is from a novella that is really, really bare-bones basic. And yet it's this incredible masterpiece for movie because they're able to, you know, expand and really let the story be in format instead of just trying to cram a whole book into 90 yeah i i would have to say hands down that's what i appreciated most about being able to read the short story is kind of this light bulb aha moment of wow they they took the core of this film or the story and turned it into a film and there's power in that that's really cool and so kind of reflecting on that as i was reading and then chatting with you a little bit about it that that really was illuminating for me, and I agree. I, I think we get so up in arms about movies not being accurate to the books and books not being accurate to the movies, and yeah, I, I get it, sure. But also I think maybe it's time to, to separate the two a little bit and, and understand yeah. that movies can't be books and books can't be movies. And let's take what's good from the books and let's take what's good from the movies and, and find the, the commonality there. Uh, but to your yeah. point, I, I fully agree with you. I think the shorter stories and the novellas really allow that extrapolation to occur for that creative force of the directors, the producers, the artists on the film production crew to utilize their imagination better. Yeah, sure. Um before we uh, move on to our, our ratings and stuff, I do just want to just you know note that I I think Joe Hill, um, you know, wrote this short story, is one of the finest horror writers today. Like it's you know it it it, it almost feels kind of ridiculous to be like Stephen King's son is like just as good as Stephen King, but like he really is just phenomenal. Um, for for anyone who's you know kind of unfamiliar with his work. Um, he uh, kind of mostly got into writing actually mostly with comics um, specifically the Lock and Key comics which have been adapted into a Netflix show which is fine um, I like the comics a lot better The uh, but then he also then you know, started writing some novels, uh, he has uh, Heart Shaped Box, he has Horns uh, which was turned into a movie with Daniel Radcliffe, he has uh, Nosferatu but spelled like a license plate which was turned into a show on AMC um, he has a book called The Fireman, um, and, 
Uh, but he also yeah has like some really stellar short stories. Uh, that that collection that I mentioned earlier, Twentieth Century Ghosts, which includes Black Bone. Oh, so good. Like, you know, generally speaking, any short story collection by anybody, even if they're like one of my favorite writers, I'm usually like eh, three out of five stars because short story collections are a grab bag, and sometimes they work and sometimes they don't. This one is much more in the four to four and a half star range because it's just Joe Hill knows what he's doing. He, he writes a tight story. Um, so, highly recommend his work. Um, my favorite things by him have been Nosferatu and The Fireman, though. So, uh, read Joe Hill. He's he's great, and I really am excited to see what else he does in the future. I need to give Nosferatu a try. It's definitely been saved in my queue for longer than I want to admit, but it's just sitting down yeah. and making that commitment, right? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can't speak to how good the show is because I haven't watched it yet, but the book, oh, chilling. And also, by the way, the audiobook, just insanely good because the, the reader just does the best voices and, oh, 10 out of 10. <laughs> good. All right, let's, um, let's dive into some reviews here. All right, uh, so how scary was The Black Bone? What, what do you rate it for screens? I started, I think, at like a 6.5, and then it has slowly dropped to a solid 5. Again, like, you know, it has its moments. It's pretty stellar, but it's also pretty standard Halloween horror film. Like, I don't think it would be rated R had there not been a few fucks thrown about here and there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um solid five for me as well you know there are some really great intense moments and ethan hawk really you know earned basically all of the that five but there just wasn't that much else to it um okay so moving on to crowns um i gave it a seven and a half i i really like this movie um but you know again it wasn't like earth shattering i just it's, it's a it's a good movie i like it i like it a lot I also gave it a 7.5. Like, it's a fun, you know, we always do, the Scream Kings podcast always hosts, like, a horror movie marathon every Halloween, October time. This would be a great film for that because it kind of speaks universally to a lot of people. It's not too demonic. It's not too gory. It's not too, you know, supernatural. It's just right in the middle. But it, it does a good job at what it does. And I think it would be universally loved amongst a lot of people. Is it perfect? Is it great? It's great. It's not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it does exactly what it meant to do and no more and no less. Yeah, that's uh, I couldn't have said it better. That's a good way to, to frame it. All right. Well, um, how have you been staying spooky lately other than, you know, the horrors of our everyday lives? <laughs> oh, good God. You know, honestly, I have consumed quite a bit of horror media lately. Uh, I What, you? Uh, well, I go through dry spells, honestly, but lately I've been really kind of leaning in. It's been a nice release. The catharsis of, of horror. Sorry, I had to just burn out my... Like, I have a friend of mine got me a cool candle that is designed for my, the exact time of birth <laughs> so it has all of like my zodiac information if that's not the most max thing you've heard all day i don't know what is yeah that's that's uh, uh that's about as, as, as high you know in terms of the max uh echelon as i can think of so you recommended a really good book called cabinet the end of the world uh, it was pretty challenging for me to read initially. It's about these two husbands who have adopted a spunky scientist girl, which resonates very well with my life right now. <laughs> um, and then they kind of get invaded by this weird group of cultists preaching about the end of the world, which also kind of resonates in other ways with me right now. Uh and so I had to kind of take a break from it. Uh, just It was hitting a little bit harder than I w was expecting it to. Uh, but when I go camping, you know, you have to disconnect from 
all of your regular ways to connect. And so I, I typically read voraciously when I camp. And I was able to finish this book up there. And I know you really loved it, Nathaniel, and we're planning an episode about this book, but I really thought after the first act, the, the intensity just dropped. Uh, it just went kind of crazy. I mean, see, I and you t- I disagree. I thought that the intensity just continued to ramp. Yeah. But I look forward to talking to you about this because I freaking love this book. I, I enjoyed it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I thought it was very provocative, very poignant, and kind of important for today. Uh, I just, I was terrified in that first act uh, to the point where I had to stop reading it. And I just didn't get that back after that first act, which is fine. Yeah, I I think that it changes to a different kind of horror after that. And Agreed. And it, it changes very quickly. And maybe that's what lost me. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I, I did start another book, though, that I'm slowly getting through that I'm really enjoying. Although yesterday, as I was kind of getting towards the end, I had this big realization that the main character of the fil- or of the book is very obsessed with like Hallmark movies. And I had this realization like, oh shit, this book is a Hallmark movie. <laughs> like <laughs> I've been very engaged with it and have been really enjoying it. Um, especially because of the novelty that I'll get to here. But I had this like glass shattering moment. If you've seen how I met your mother, where it's like, oh damn, this book is just a Hallmark movie. It's a horror Hallmark movie. <laughs> Uh, but the the premise of the film, or my gosh, of the book, is this narcotics user turned sober gets a babysitting job at a very rich and wealthy uh, kind of mansion almost in the suburbs of, you know, some whitewashed suburbia in the United States. And she's babysitting this five-year-old who starts drawing these weird pictures of his imaginary friend who's doing unspeakable things to, you know, characters in his pictures. And, and all of that sounds very, like, standard for horror film, horror books. The cool thing that this author has done is he's collected images of, like, actual kids that have drawn that are pretty spooky and creepy. And he's incorporated them into the story as if they're this kid's drawings. So you're reading and then you turn the page and it shows you the picture and it just kind of changes it, right? It's this visual representation of what you're reading and it's authentic. Some kid drew this creepy little illustration and it it's pretty cool. Uh, again, it's, it's a Hallmark film in book form, but I've enjoyed it. And then one more thing I've just been consuming a lot. Sorry, not sorry. Wait, wait. Real, real quick, you didn't actually see the title. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Hidden Pictures is the name of the book. By Jason Ricola? Yes, exactly. Um, I was just adding it to my list because I'm curious, even though I expected it's a junk food read. Yeah, it, it's super cheesy, and knowing you, Nathaniel, you'll finish it in like 15 minutes. <laughs> but it's a pretty fun little whodunit kind of a, a book. I'll I'll let you borrow it. Sweet. Uh, the last thing is uh, my partner and I, we went and saw Bodies, 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 which is the new A24 film. Um, it's a hoot. It, it's nothing new or original or fancy, but it's a great like millennial slasher, Gen Z kind of crazed film. It It's a trip, but I had a blast. And it may have been the painkillers, but I had a great time in the theater watching this film. Uh, it kept me engaged, kept me guessing, and laughing at the same time. Not because it's comedic, but because it's poking fun at this PC culture that has just kind of turned toxic to some extent. There, okay. There's one part where, you know, this very PC character who is trying to relate to you know these murderers that are happening and she says the line of you know that i am an ally (laughs) and it just framed within the context of this like mystery murder thing happening it was just hilarious oh it's a good one i think you'll like it nathaniel how are you staying spooky though 
Um, well, I've been doing a lot of reading as always. Um, and I've read some some really solid horror books recently. Uh, like probably the best one I've read recently is The Fisherman. But one uh, comic series that I dive into, uh, yeah, is something is killing the children. It's and, so like, kind of spooky that you mentioned this because. Mark and I were just at my local comic store and I saw this just on the shelf and I thumbed through it for a good maybe five minutes thinking like, what the hell is this and how do I not know about it? Yeah, it's it's a fun one. I Yeah, I just kind of stumbled across it through a, a library app. And um, yeah, it's it, like it's fun. It's um, so it's written by one of my favorite uh, comic writers, uh, James Tinney in the fourth. Uh, who's done some really good stuff, like with Batman and uh, Injustice and stuff like that? But really enjoy um, this this series. It's basically uh, a monster starts very gruesomely killing some children in this town, and then uh, this young woman shows up and basically says, uh, "Well, I can help you deal with this problem, but you know we have to kind of keep it on the down low." And it seems like children can see monsters. And adults can't. Um, and it's it's gruesome. The art is really well done and stylized in really fun ways. Uh, the story takes some really interesting twists and turns. Um, I, I really have enjoyed it. I, I've read the first three volumes in the last couple of months. And uh, quite uh, quite dig it. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep reading the, the series. And uh, I guess there's even a spin-off series that just... Uh, started as well uh and i'm just gonna keep up with it so basically recommend it it's a fun time nothing like earth shattering but really just a solid fun creepy gory comic nothing wrong about that yep all right well we are dedicated to re-establishing kind of our our usual recording schedule now that things are definitely slowing down so hopefully we'll get back to some normalcy we apologize for being incognito uh thanks for listening we really appreciate our fan base you guys are awesome yeah we we love you all and appreciate uh that you have you know continued to you know support us and listen and hopefully you know didn't uh, unsubscribe because you thought that we were dead or something yeah we are alive and if you know anything about me even if we had died necromancy would prevail very true. I mean, you do have the grim part. <laughs> I sure do. And the grave dirt now. Don't ask. Yep. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Stay spooky. Stay spooky. Need even more Scream Kings? Here's our obligatory shameless social media plug. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Scream Kings Pod. You could also email us at Scream Kings Podcast at gmail.com. Help us reach a wider audience of horror fans by leaving a review on iTunes or by sharing a link on social media. You can also support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash Stay spooky.